Hello and welcome to another wonderful, exciting, spectacular, edge of your seat episode of Normandy FM. Kenneth Shepard, how yes, are you sir. doing this week? I'm tired. It's fucking. It's been a tiring fucking life. I, Eric Van Allen, am also always tired. Never not tired. That's my secret, actually, that I'm always tired. It's nine thirty right now. I'm the version of the Hulk that just like takes a nap all the time. Mm. But the, do you you ever think about how much of your life you spend sleeping? Not enough. You know, I I, I knew a guy in high school. Um, let's call him Buddy because his name was Buddy. Uh, he actually he, he he went by Buddy. That was like his nickname. Uh, that was like a family nickname because apparently all his his dad used to go by Buddy, but then when he had a kid, he'd start going by his normal first name, and and his son became new Buddy. It was like passed down. It's a very interesting guy. <laughs> so once and, Buddy has a kid, uh, there yeah, the kid will be named Buddy. Yeah, there can only be one Buddy because it would get confusing at, yeah. at, at cookouts and stuff. Uh, so Buddy was an interesting guy uh, who was incredibly smart. But also, like, just a little odd, you know? He's, mm. But, like, quirkily so. You know, he was mm. Buddy. He's Buddy. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. he'd be like, what's Buddy doing over there? Oh, Buddy, he's always up to stuff. Um, mm. That kind of guy. So, one day we were in the uh, the band locker room. When I was in the marching band as a child. And, uh, <laughs> and he was talking to me and he was saying, you ever think about how much time we spend to sleep? And I was like, not really. And he's like, yeah, so I've only been sleeping, like, three hours a week for the past, like, three months. Or not Jesus three hours Christ. a week, three hours a night. <laughs> three hours a night for the past, like, three months. And okay, I've been learning how to, he's like, I've been learning how to play piano, and I started, like, learning Spanish and stuff like that. And I was like, huh. huh. And he, I was like, you know, but don't you feel tired and stuff like that? He's like, yeah, but then it just reminds me that I'm using so many more hours in my day that it's worth it. And I was like, huh. I mean, fair enough. I wonder if Buddy's still alive. <laughs> that's, that's, that's maybe my current take on it now. Is I'm like, I wonder if he kept it up, and I wonder if he's okay. So, Buddy, if you're out there listening to Normandy FM, please, please reach out to me. <laughs> well, let us uh, know how it's going. <laughs> yeah. And if you uh, committed an atrocity on the planet Tuchanka, we want to hear from you. Because... Uh, that is this week, actually, so now if you contact us, it'll be too late, but we still want to hear from you. Uh, so, Ken, we've got uh, one little bit of housekeeping we got to take care of first uh, in terms of missions, because there's, uh, there's a Turian ship that went down, but after we do that, we're going to be getting into the uh, Tuchanka, what, what people talk about when they talk about Tuchanka. Mm. And I, I've been looking forward to this episode because uh, it's... I think it's one of like the biggest choices in Mass Effect mm-hmm. that for a long time I always thought everyone always made one choice. 
and uh, I'm not for the most sp- part, I'm not going to spoil the discussion. Don't we will get there. This I'm just amping up the listener to get excited, but I feel like my perspective has both shifted and solidified mm. in in the time since I have been replaying this and hearing from other people who have played this game. So. Uh, this is going to be interesting. But first, we gotta go take care of some some dumb shit going down <laughs> because uh, Ken nepotism is a terrible thing. Because <laughs> it certainly it, is. It it leads to uh, bad situations like maybe the fail son of a Primarch uh, landing on a planet and getting involved in a thing that he was maybe not prepared to to handle. So Primarch so Victus. Be like that. Primark Victus hanging out on our ship now, you know, he's, he's, he's around, you know, we're doing stuff to help him out, so he, he wants to be around so he can help us out when we need it, but he's got a little favor he wants to ask us, uh, you know, he lost contact with a team of Turians who went down to, uh, to Chanka, I believe, yeah, on the DMZ, and, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> first of all, I love that he asks you to, like, talk about this before you even... Like you're basically on the same ship as or not Rex and all that. And he's like, "Yo, come over here. Yo, no, no, no. Away from, away from Rex. No, don't, don't look mm. at him while we're talking. Come on, dude. Haven't you like ever gossiped before? <laughs> <laughs> There's something like wonderfully almost playful about this part that that I really like. I don't know if you got the same sense from it, but uh, I, uh, I would say I did. Not necessarily from Victus, but from Rex, because like this as this is going on. Rex is also bringing up the the uh, the Rachni mission that we did last week, and uh, like when Victus is like, "I'd like to talk about this privately," and like and looks at Rex like, "I don't want to do it while you're here." Rex is like, "Well, I got something too, but I don't want to talk about it while you're here either." Yeah, like it's like the just Rex the makes proper level of petty, like yeah. the proper level of petty. <laughs> uh, so we got to go help out. Uh, the Primarch's son was leading a team on a super secret mission uh, down in the Krogan DMZ. And uh, see, he he heavily implies is extremely classified, and like he cannot tell Shepard more about what's going on. Uh, as we land in the Krogan DMZ and uh, get there, we kind of slowly learn about what's going on. But I do want to make mention. You mentioned in your notes, you got to bring Garrus for these missions. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. this chain of missions. Uh, because I think we've talked a lot about how uh, we've had moments of learning a lot about Krogan culture, learning a lot about Korean culture. Uh, this is where we get a lot of the Turian stuff, especially yeah. if you have Garrus there. And, and it it's is all fascinating. And also it's all kind of really sad and not a great look, but everybody's worst faces are showing in this game. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's they have a culture, you know. It's the way that they do forced uh, military time is actually fairly reminiscent of some modern day countries where that's required. I know that mm-hmm. uh, I believe South Korea has mandatory military service. Uh, I know because I used to write about esports and still follow esports, and there would be a lot of cases of popular StarCraft pro players delaying their military service or just trying to get out of it or you know they'd be having a successful successful career and all of a sudden they gotta just disappear for a couple of years because they have to go do their military service mm-hmm. so 
Um, that I was reminded a lot of that here. Um, right. So we we end up fighting through a ton of reapers, lots lots and lots of reapers. Is this the first time we see a harvester? I believe I was, so. Yeah. I was trying to recall if we yep. had if we had seen one yet or not. Yeah, harvesters are one of the coolest looking enemies that end up being the most disappointing when you actually fight them because you think that it's going to be a really awesome badass battle and then they just kind of sit there and mm. let you shoot at them. Yeah, they're, and they're basically like bullet sponges. So, and there are some instances, and I know there were, at least I think there were in a couple of these missions, or in this mission, where uh, you can fight them, but you don't necessarily get to defeat them before they fly off. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I mean, I, like, it was one of those things where, like, they start flying off, and, like, I would reave it, and then it would fall, and it was, like, I didn't know if there was, like, maybe consequences for, like, not killing them in time, because I know there are a couple instances in this game where, like, if you don't finish a fight quickly enough, you'll, like, maybe lose a little bit of war assets just from casualties of what's going on in any mission yeah and it's uh we we also get kind of a sense of like the turian stuff i was just looking back at your notes here um the the notes from victus's soldiers about how not living this down because we kind of we kind of learned that victus is maybe not the best leader of his men Mm -hmm. and has at least somewhat caused the situation that led to his ship crash landing um this is a really this this mission this is another one of those cases of mass effect 3 not maybe accurately portraying how beefy the mission you're about to get into is because this is a series of missions well it's it's only two i believe actually but it feels like a series like a large chain and uh it's it's pretty heavy and it's got a lot of side character development that's surprising really for any game in the series I, I can't think of another character that gets so immediately fleshed out uh like primark victus and, right. and his son uh and that's really cool and i think that's one of the cooler things that this game does is it still finds opportunities to introduce these characters and have them exist in these little moments and and maybe my one issue with mass effect 3 is that it didn't do it often enough um like we kind of talked about with Jay last week, that does really rely on existing characters when it could have... The the, the few new yeah. characters it introduces are extremely good. We have Victus' son here, we have Victus, we have Eve, and, and characters like that, so... Um, and I think, like, those some of these characters do get a little bit more, like, in the event that those characters that are returning are dead. But so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of like... I don't know if Schrodinger's Cat's, like, a sort of apt comparison here, but it's like which version of the character that gets that development is true or canon or real, whatever you want to call it, kind of depends on, you know, how you went about these games. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, there's always there's always YouTube to go watch the other playthroughs where those characters are dead and see a little bit more of all of these characters. Mm-hmm. So we eventually find out that there's a bomb on Dejanka. Just, mm-hmm. just a bomb. Big <laughs> that, old bomb. That the Turians put there... Uh, presumably just as a safety measure. Like, <laughs> I keep thinking about how many... There, There is a Looney Tunes level of tricking the Krogans into accepting something that could spell their immediate doom. That that happens to them in this in this mission and in the next because 
not only do we learn that the bomb kind of happened and the and the Turians just straight up like have a safety net essentially there in the form of blowing up Tachanka, but as we learn, I, I think we've already learned it by this point. The shroud is was built by the Salarians mm-hmm. under the guise of making Tuchanka more habitable and instead right. it ended up spreading the genophage. <laughs> like, th- there is a point that we're going to bring up later in the podcast. I'll say that. We'll talk about it there. But there is a level of... um, You can get some colonial readings out of this, the way that outside forces come in Right. And kind of trick the Krogans into being controlled, being manipulated. That it's it, it's hard to ever say without talking to the writer whether that was intentional or not. But it is definitely like that. Reading it now uh, in, in 2019, uh, reading in the like grander sense, you know, like playing through this right. game now. Um, man. Man, it's it makes the Krogan stuff a lot sadder, a lot more depressing, yeah. and also a lot more like stark. Uh, you know, it's, it just stands out. It's oof. Yeah. <sighs> it, it, it is. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, of a, of a galaxy that has all these amazing grander narratives and these smaller ones, like it is like one of the greatest injust, injustice in all of this, and the, the and I, again, in a galaxy full of them. Then mm-hmm. this game is about sort of this uh, repairing of all this shit. Like it still mm-hmm. stands out to me as like one of the, you know, like again, like one of the saddest ones that we have to go through, mm-hmm. and it can, and it can, and it can get a whole lot sadder. And we'll get to that in a minute. But. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, that's basically where we're going next. As we get through this, we after rescuing the squad, we learn about the bomb and have to go then take care of the bomb. And while we are trying to defuse the giant bomb, uh, Victus's son ends up having to sacrifice himself to uh, defuse the bomb. Right. And I think you can try and convince him not to do it. Like, there's a way to try. He will always end up doing it, but there's, like, a way to try and talk him out of it. Or you can, like, encourage him. Um, but it's it, it, the way this mission ends where... You know, Victus's son is sacrificed, and, and Garrus, like you mentioned it here, Garrus mentions that it won't win him any medals, but it'll at least like wash away his his failure. Um, mm. You know, they they don't have like a memorial wall or anything. Like this is what is expected of right. Turian combatants, and there's and a, it's it's very and we, somber. Yeah, and when we get back to the ship, and we got to talk, we actually have to like confront that this just happened because Rex finds out. Um, mm-hmm. Victus is on, obviously like he can't defend what has happened, but he's just like we were trying to make it right. And it was the point, one of the points where like, because like I've been going a lot more Paragon in this game, even more than I probably ever did. Like when I first played the game, and that was the point where like Renegade Shep just popped off and was just like, we have bigger problems right now. His son is dead. Your planet is safe now. We got better, bigger things to do. I think and I, then Vic- I think I did that option as well, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, and then and then Victus is kind of like. Uh, thank you for helping my son. He'll be recognized in, like, it was some sort of, like, military history book or something that he called it. And it was, like, he ta- he makes a comment, like, it's something any father will be proud of. But, like, you can tell that there's, like, that's what he's expected to feel because is, that is the Turing way. Yeah. So, like, this is... Sure, he can say that this, that's something that a father will be proud of, but, like, I'm sure he, in any case he would rather have his son here with him. It almost feels a little reminiscent of the themes from Mass Effect 2. Uh, like I was thinking about Mass Effect 2 a lot in these moments, uh, mm. especially 
Because in Mass Effect 2, when you're doing the tally loyalty mission, and they mention that like if she dies trying to kill the Geth on uh, her right. dad's old ship, they will consider that as absolution for her crimes. Right. Right. Uh, and that feels like the same sort of thing. And it just, mm-hmm. uh, it, it made me think a lot about it, not just the themes there, but also like the greater themes in this game of Shepard trying to stop the Reapers and eventually, as as we know, those who have played the game, uh, having to sacrifice as well. And so I, it feels like it's building up that theme a little bit that... Uh, that this war is not going to end without a greater sacrifice and and one that's not going to sit right, one that is not going to have a happy bow on it. Um, right. So on that note, we're going to get heading over to the shroud because mm. <laughs> we've got a uh, we've got to cure this genophage. You know, it's been a long yeah. time coming. We've got the cure. Everything's working. We've saved Malin's data. This is acquired in a horrible way, but it's going to do some good finally. Uh, we've got Morden on board, and we're rolling out in our sick trucks to... Uh... Whoa, 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 whoa. We got to back up. A bit. How am I? Whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, it starts there. <laughs> no, it doesn't. We got to talk about something that happens on the Normandy first. And you know what? You're right. we get a call. You know what? You're right. We do get a call. Yeah. We Somebody slides into our DMs before <laughs> we even get there. Um... The Dalatras. Mm. Oh boy, she is messy. Uh, she, <laughs> uh, we get a call from the Salarian Dalatras, who basically says, uh, "Hey, you know, just sab- make them think it's cured, but don't actually cure it. Sabotage it, and and we will back you up. You know, like we've had our differences, but you, we don't want the Krogan getting powerful." Uh, and and she hints that you would be able to do this and kind of get the best of all worlds mm. because then you would have mm-hmm. Solarian support, you know. And, and she never really like says how that would happen to where like okay the Krogans and the Turians are okay and the Solarians would just kind of show up and be like sorry we were against this but now we're helping you all out we're happy to do it uh, mm. like like someone would not see through that but anyways not thinking long term just thinking short term here. <laughs> and um but basically you'd get everyone on board and we've been talking about it a little bit up to this point but the way that the war assets work and especially the way that the game kind of judges you for trying to play those moments where you can get everything or, or where you right. think you can get the best of everything if you do something that's a little ethically compromising right. uh so I, I mean, we can say it right here. Can you and I have both said as much that we have never done this option? Nope. <laughs> even even in your most renegade run-throughs, you have never nope. done this option. Never considered it. Um, so we'll, we'll, get to get... That. we'll get to that in a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so... We're gonna. So now we get to roll out in our sick trucks. Now that we're done mm. being slid into, uh, we can also fun fact tell Rex and and everyone yep. about the thing that has happened, or we can choose to stay quiet about it. Uh, I I told them because right. honestly, as soon as you can. yeah, honestly, like first of all, no secrets among friends. Second exactly. of all, uh, 
they need to know just in case the Solarians come rolling up and offering any more sneaky deals that there's mm. some stuff going on. Uh, I saw it as that's also Shepard's way of finding out if there might be other people within the contingent that you're in who might be working with the Dalatras because if I was the Dalatras, I would not bet it all on just Shepard. I probably would have more agents, apparently. Clearly she did not, but that yeah. is... Uh, so... <laughs> and we do have Erdnot Reeve out here, the brother of one Erdnot yeah. Rex. Because uh, we needed to somehow introduce conflict to this yeah. <laughs> when there's already a Reaper. By the way, there's a Reaper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Do we, do we even mention what the Shroud is, actually, first? Do we do that? Yeah, we should probably mention that. I mean, the Shroud is basically just a giant tower that takes in the air and filters it and shoots it back out. It's kind of... It's a giant air purifier, essentially, that right. that the Solarians established on Tichanka under the guise of uh, purifying the air there from all... I believe it was actually nuclear fallout. Like, the Krogan had nuked each other into oblivion well before other uh races came to find them mm-hmm. and and they were kind of living among the ruins in tachanka and and the shroud was part of the goodwill gestures boy colonialist was, readings on this <laughs> and it was also used to spread the initial genophage yes the initial genophage uh whereas morden's revision was i think that was just something they released that gradually took hold like it was a Mm. it did not need like the mass distribution center that the shroud was uh but that also means that there are things in not only can the shroud be used to quickly spread the genophage cure but it's also uh it has things in there where morden will be able to like modify it to make sure it will take uh, and that's also where the Dalatras says that there are things in there uh, that other people would not see. Because uh, I believe if we go into this mission with not Morden, but uh, the other the other character, I forgot what his name is already. Because, Paddock Weeks. Uh, Queek, Queeks? Pat, Paddock Weeks. Weeks. His name is Weeks. W-I-K-S. Man, he sucks. Mr. Paddock over here. Yeah because if you have him and you don't tell him about like the the precautions he messes it up and doesn't get the genophage cure out uh, i believe that's how that works i not looking at I, I know there's yeah, something I've, I've there's the something that's open, different so i because there's there are a lot of ways that this can end which again i never knew um right. so morning will realize something is live shippers Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm reading this. This wiki maybe doesn't do a lot of mentioning of how that affects it. Um. Oh, al- all outcomes are available regardless of whether Morden or Weeks is present. So for convenience, we will refer to the character as more as Morden. Thanks again to the fandom wiki, uh, <laughs> the Mass Effect fandom wiki. Y'all have been a life saving resource. Uh in live time on this podcast at times <laughs> uh and it's it's just great uh so we do need to uh if you if you did not reveal the sabotage the the person working on the cure will realize something is wrong and then either uh they will either you can tell them about the deal or they will surmise it uh and that's kind of at the conflict at the end of this mission mm-hmm. um so basically they will figure it out if you don't say anything, uh, no matter who the character is. 
for some reason I thought if you had weeks and you did not tell them about the precautions left in place by the STG task force that that was a way to like sabotage the cure without doing anything else uh, but apparently I, that's not the case uh, I thought there was a situation well, well We'll hold off on the discussion yeah, we, on this well, we won't, we won't until say we get to that point. That. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got to talk a little bit first because there's some so so there's some dumb stuff that happens first. Uh, we're we're rolling rolling right along, uh, getting through the Tuchanka Sky or Highway basically, and then uh, well, the Reaper attacks us and our trucks get overturned and we got to do some, some ruins stuff. We got to go into the ruins. Um, mm. and in fact, am I getting, yeah, I actually am take, I am getting that out of order. We do the ruins, the catacombs later. First we have the, the conflict with Reaper. Again, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little all over the place today. <laughs> it's, um, so we're, yeah, it's the, the Reef stuff. I, it's, it's, kind of dumb to have all this conflict happen here you know it's well reeve is basically making a power play for the erdnot throne in the middle of trying to cure the genophage and it feels like the ultimate goal of this scene is to get to where um eve intervenes and makes a rallying call um Mm -hmm. basically a way to kind of justify in universe why all the Krogan clans are uniting and kind of bring up that old uh let's let's say conflict between all the different clans a very like city state uh Greece sort of situation between all the different <laughs> Krogan clans uh and it it just kind of feels a lot of this mission ends up feeling perfunctory in a way I don't because there's I'll a fight you a little bit on that. Okay, there's a lot of buildup that feels unnecessary long, unnecessarily long to getting to the part involving the shroud, which is why you're here. And it feels weird to just suddenly interject this, not only the Krogan conflict, but even the stuff, the stuff in the catacombs at least ends up paying off in a fun, interesting way. But the stuff here just feels weird because you would figure that you wouldn't need to go out and say like hey we're trying to cure the genophage and there's a reaper attacking us right now this is a good thing we should stop fighting and we should unify um so yeah maybe not always but especially in this one situation it it felt like there was just extra mission for extra mission's sake i'm gonna say I don't know that I agree on that front because it's both both the Tuchanka section and the Renok section that we'll get to however many of those later, they both kinda play the fence like they play on the fence of sort of like whether or not you should support or not support, you know, whatever ending of that particular conflict that you're thinking of. So I feel like a lot of this um mission is sort of giving you like I hate to use this 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 phrase, but like both sides of the issue, mm. and it's like to they kind want of you to frame see- it in a way to where you would understand. So this is like to give you an idea that it wouldn't be a good idea to have a unified Krogan right. force that's, out there, or that it could that, be a good idea. And that, that's are. the thing is like it, like you've got Reeve, who is like you know this this foil to Rex. Like Rex is this person who's very progressive, wants you know the best of the Krogan, and Rex, I mean, Reeve is very 
kind of stuck in the past. And then you got Eve there, who is supposed to be like the sort of mediator, but also very much on Rex's side. And so it's like you're given both a hope for these people and also this sort of, you know, this reminder of who some of these people are. And then later you'll see, like, you know, in the catacombs where you see, like, their art and that, uh, like, you know, it's, it's fairly um, uh, archaic compared to, like, you know, a lot of races on the Citadel. But it's basically this idea that there is a culture that was growing here that basically everything got fucked up by the Genophage and the Solarian Turian intervention. And so to me, I, I never viewed those things as sort of, like, uh, these ancillary, arbitrary things that are wasting time. It's more like... It's giving an uncertain player basically arguments for either choice that you want to make at the end. So, mm-hmm. like, we're, you and I, we're very much, by the time we get here, we already know what we're doing. We're very much set. Like, again, we told Rex and Eve about what was going on, and there are, might be people who, who stayed silent and didn't, you know, have not made their decision yet and need to see both sides of the issue and sort of inform what they do later. So to me, it's never been about, like, filler. It's more about, like, you need to get the grand tour of what you're committing to at this point. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I can understand that. Yeah. I'm, it was a little hasty. I get you. <laughs> so, but we do also get this thing that they're talking about how they want to expand other planets and things like that, which is definitely, I think, the fear. But again, like... Man, this just... I'm sorry, now that it's, like, in my mind, I can't stop thinking about the colonialist undertones in this game. I'm just... I'm on that beat now. Um, Boy. Uh, So, finally, we do get to go on sick truck time, and then it immediately stops because things start getting wild. A Reaper shows up, there's some tremors happening that might indicate something big is happening underground, too. We got to get through the catacombs to regroup with the sick trucks. Uh, and while we are going through the catacombs, we do discover art uh, and, and other things, which is really cool. I did really like that. Um, it's This is kind of tedious. And, and again, this may be where my feeling comes from about this section is that the catacomb stuff is just a little much um, in terms of stuff you have to do. And yeah, It's uh, dark. It's confusing. It's disorienting. And... It's the Rachni mission did it better. And and yeah. here I would have just liked a short little jaunt through the catacombs looking at art and getting the little tease of Thresher Maws because we learn about the Big Mama Thresher Maw, <laughs> the uh, Calros, um, Calros, 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 um, yeah, Big Big Mama Thresher Maw, the Super Thresher Maw, the the biggest the Thresher Maw, uh. Mm. And then we get back in the sick trucks and we got to get going towards that Reaper. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm having to reread here because I completely forgot what happens with Reeve in this section. Because I want... Gets wa- eaten. He gets, he gets eaten by the Thresher Mo- Yep, yes, by Kalros. Um, um, like, in the event that Rex is alive and Reeve is not on the same truck as Shepard and Eve, he gets eaten. And yeah. then, and Rex feels absolutely nothing about it and it's great. Yeah, it's... Hmm, Yeah. But we get to we get to the shroud and we basically. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Well, how how am I still missing things? Okay, okay, we we're like are you, oh, no, no, not, not to the shroud. the shroud. Yeah, I'm right, saying okay. like there the vicinity go. of the shroud where a reaper okay. has currently taken residence. <laughs> All right, there you I, go. I got that. I got this, Ken. 
listeners, do you hear this? Do you hear this judgment? Be on my side. Hashtag, Somebody throw micromanage the flame. Hashtag Team Eric. Uh, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. So, um... We we gotta split up in, into teams here because somebody's got to protect, uh, basically to stop this incoming Rachni horde. This because the Rachni always gotta show up at the worst mm. possible time, uh, and we gotta get uh, our our dear Doctor Morden up to the shroud and past a Reaper. Uh, but we also kind of want to have a way out, and also we don't want a bunch of Rachni chasing us in towards the reaper so we got split up into teams here and that's when not only does eve is eve a badass here uh but oh oh rex i am erdnot rex and this is my planet (laughs) oh like that that moment has hit me every time i've ever played this game but now that i'm i guess old and just more emotionally vulnerable than i've ever been 2019 Kenneth Cry count a fucking a million I don't know at this point it's, but it's just like it's such a good moment because like right before then you get this conversation with him where he's like uh, you've been a hero to the Krogan and you've been a brother to me and you, you fist bump on it and then he just goes and fucks up some Ragni and it's like how how could you sabotage the cure in the face of that how can you do it how? yeah 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 and it's Rex, okay? Arguably one of the best characters in Mass Effect. Like, mm. and really, this was the moment where I reflected a little bit on Rex's journey from just this jaded uh, mm-hmm. Krogan who was once, you know, the son of the leader of one of the clans, uh, had to kill his father, ran away, just became a mercenary. He's, he was he was tired, he was sick of it, you know, he wanted a better life for his people, but he didn't think it was possible, and now he's the one making it happen, and he's about to go murder a bunch mm. of Rachni with a shotgun. Like, yep. God bless or not, Rex. <laughs> so, and it's like, it's just, just to jump on that, it's like, yeah. to watch this character basically you know, have no hope for his people and to come to this place, it really, I mean, as if I needed anyone convinced at this point, but it's like, to see this person enter him and Eve as well, just like be, want to be these, you know, they want to spearhead this new time for these people that has been basically robbed of their own future mm-hmm. for centuries at this point. Like that to me, like even if you're worried about ex- Krogan expansion or if Reeve is still alive, whatever, that is to me the ultimate point of curing the genophage here is that you give these people a chance to like actually decide their own fate as opposed to be told by everybody else what they are. Yeah, and it's, uh, again, this is one of those situations where if you did not have Rex with you, for whatever reason, you did not have that character development, uh, other options might seem, however mm. slimly, still more plausible, but with Rex here, yeah. come on. Come on! Mm. <sighs> First we got Fighter Reaper, though. This is uh, yep. Or get somebody else to fight a Reaper. I, I, I love the run-up to the Reaper. So we've got a battle plan. There are some old Maw Hammers that are just big as shit. We're going to drop mm. into the ground to attract the Mama of all of all Thresher Maws uh, over to to help us out, let's say. Uh, and we got to run through a Reaper to get to them. And this whole run-up with the lasers and everything is so good. It's so, so good. I, I'm, I love this moment. It's just a really... It's a great reminder of the scale of the Reapers and the power mm-hmm. they have, while also like 
the the sort of against all odds situation yep. that Shepard is in. It's it's like this great contrast. I mean, just visually, this is a very striking scene. It, it's mm-hmm. laid out very well. This this run up, and then you're under the Reaper and you're dodging all these foot stomps and stuff, and you're trying to get to the the Maw Hammers, and then some some jerk decided what if you had to fight some brutes while you were doing this yeah or at least like run past them and it's like yeah i i killed the first one i think and then once i remembered basically once i played this section for long enough i was like oh right i could just run past them i did right. that uh yeah talk about yeah. a momentum killer it really it really was and the footstep stuff does some goofy things with them too like i had a weird interaction with one of them where uh, they like spawned under a foot or something. It just led to this really weird graphical thing that made it look very video gamey all of a sudden. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was really cool moment. Maybe a little bit hampered by the. It's still great, but and then we get Cal Ross in there and Reaper versus, versus Reaper's Day. Yeah, boy, boy, bad time for that Reaper. That's. That is that moment where, again, I wonder what is inside a Reaper, because if there are, like, some, you know, husks hanging out or whatever, they're about <laughs> to have a real bad time. <laughs> they're having a good day either. Um, so then we are, we are inside the Shroud. Yes. With Morden. Morden has somehow... The, the one thing that I always kind of... Was Morden just kind of trailing behind us? Was he just hanging out? Was it like, how did he follow us through the Reaper here? That's one thing I've always... I... I think he comes through like a the, like a side entrance or something. Yeah, I vaguely remember seeing him walk in from somewhere that was not where Shepard came from. It's like a secret secret door. Mm. Wait, yeah, because he had to do something with Eve as well, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. had to finish the cure. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he he like and went this is where a different entrance. Yeah, and this is where he brings up that Malin's data was very valuable and it helped save Eve and mm-hmm. how traumatic the procedure was. Right. So, yeah, he, this is basically the section where if you have saved Malin's data. Eve lives. If you did not save Malin's data, Eve dies. Right. Uh, which, which again, cool, cool carryover from Mass Effect Two uh, to like honor that that choice and, and give it like mm-hmm. greater context uh, and just greater weight all in, mm-hmm. in general because you know that's one a stabilizing leader so, for these people that might be gone. So here we got here. It's time, Ken. We got to talk about it now. Um, <sighs> so. For the large majority, let me give some context to this. We reached out on Twitter to you, the folks at home, to you, the listeners, through through Normandy FM and through our personal Twitters. If you don't follow them, that's at Normandy FM Show on Twitter. Uh, Ken is at Shepherd CDR, Shepherd Commander, and I'm at C Moosey S E A M O O S I. We reached out and said, "Is there anyone out there who has ever?" chosen not to cure the genophage not including novelty or uh just for completion like curiosity's sake so by that i meant like you didn't do it just because you're like oh i'm doing a full renegade run so that's what i did i just wanted to do one where i did all the renegade choices or like i just wanted to see what the scene looked like i wanted to hear from people who actually role-played and had justifications for what they did in the scene because for a long time going up to this, I'd say even now, I just don't see a justification 
for not curing the genophage. I think the game, the series, sets you up so much, so, so much, that this is the culmination of so much that happens in the series. And it, they try. They try to give you an opposite side of the argument. But this is the one point where I think having the binary, having the the moral gray area just falls apart because again we're talking about colonialism like the whole idea of the krogan being bad and spreading and stuff is you know reasoning that has been used to justify a lot of terrible things happening in humanity's history uh and i it, it just does not seem like a thing that people would choose at best you would implement the cure and then hope that the person you left in charge, presumably Rex, would be able to lead the Krogan to not become the same warmongering race that led so many races. And also that the interaction of the Krogan with so many races, seeing them as not just a loose band of mercenaries kind of drifting through the galaxy, but as somebody, you know, as, as a people that can form together, that can established government that can participate and not just you know ken you have something written here you said that so much of the krogan's culture has been determined by other races and this gives them the opportunity to wipe the slate clean and say who are the krogan when they are not defined by the intervention of other races and that's all you're doing is you're giving them that opportunity because they have literally never had it from the second they were discovered by other races they were constantly being controlled and manipulated and you have two people here, presumably with Rex and Eve, uh, if, if both are alive at this point, who seem determined to unify the clans and lead them into a better place. Into They even cite Krogan culture before anyone arrived was not what it was today. It's not even close to it. So, like, for a long time, I believed that this was a non-choice because there was not a way that anyone would choose otherwise. But, but, <sighs> so we had we had one person reach out, and and Ken, I'll let you intro this because you were the one who who, who discussed with them leading into this. Okay, so <laughs> I, I I will point out I want to co- point out a couple people that did reach out, and it was their reasoning ultimately did fall into sort of like Mm -hmm. it's on the bottom right corner of the dialogue wheel so i'm doing this renegade playthrough so this is what i'm doing um i understand that reasoning enough that because you are basically seeing it as a video game then you're playing the video game i wanted to understand the reasoning of the people who were role-playing a character or 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 better yet even if it was a self-insert for themselves and they were making the choice that they felt they would make those were the people I wanted to hear from. Because I honestly wanted to hear if there's an other side of the story that I'm not getting. And I think we got some of that. But Ken, I'll let you get into yeah, that. So I, so I did hear from Andrew Brown, friend of the show, at Play Critically on Twitter, who uh, please, initially... Please don't add him. <laughs> please do yeah, not. Pl- do not. <laughs> do, do not go em- and harass Emphatically Andrew, say, please do not do that. That is not the right way to respond to people who have differing opinions from you. Yeah, so he, the uh, the first thing he sent me was, uh, uh, I sabotaged it because I happened to agree with the original reason of doing it, and so I went to his, his DMs and asked him a couple a couple questions to kind of get, like, his sort of mindset going into it. First thing I asked him was, did he kill Rex in Mass Effect 1? Um, 
And he says, I did not kill Rex in Mass Effect 1, this is mostly a pride thing, the circumstances around his death always feel like you didn't play the game quote-unquote right, rather than feeling like a natural part of the story. Uh, the relative shallowness of Rex's replacements in Mass Effect 2 and 3 adds to that perception, uh, referring to Reeve, and, you know, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, then I asked him if he'd stored Milton's data, and he says that he encouraged Morden to preserve it, and it was because he didn't want uh, Morden to feel responsible for what Mayland did, and that Morden might still be able to do something good. And then um, he, also, he also pointed out that today he doesn't know if he'd make the same decision because atrocity in the name of medical advancement is nothing... Yeah. Nothing, I, I want yeah, to hit that point first. I thought okay. that was an interesting thing that we we talked about in Mass Effect 2. Um, the idea that Malin's data was acquired through... Um, <laughs> untoward is being generous. Um, through malpractice. Through right. uh, uh, unethical means. And the idea of using that for the greater good. And both of us made the choice to keep the data. But I thought that was interesting that he was considering that in in the scheme of things that at the time uh, he did save the data, but considering that nowadays he might not do the same. I thought that was an interesting point, uh, something that we hadn't talked about. So, uh, and, and we have number three here, which is maybe the, the bigger thing that we're going to discuss here. Um, Andrew kind of kind of gives us a, a little lead in here. The only time I've cleared Mass Effect 3 was with my especially ruthless Shepard character. So he, he played Renegade coming in. Um, which did affect how he says how he was coming at the decision to sabotage the genophage. Um, he says the genophage is genocide, but having said that the Krogan are species that had evolved to survive on a death world with an impossibly high mortality rate for their children being elevated unnaturally beyond that, letting their explosive growth continue in an environment that they had not evolved to live in. I saw a future where the Krogan became the dominant race in the galaxy and nothing had seen of their behavior. Even the supposedly benevolent Reeve, Rex and Eve, uh, suggested that would be a galaxy anybody wanted to let anybody wanted to live in. Again, the genophage is genocide. If it were a real situation, I was really being asked to make a decision, and I don't know if I'd be able to stomach it. But as an abstract situation in a video game where I know nothing has actual real-world consequences, and where I was already role-playing an especially ruthless shepherd, I looked at what I thought would be the likely outcome and made the decision I thought that shepherd would make. Shooting Morden in the back wasn't even hard. I'm sorry, Andrew. That was the part where I lost you. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's... So... Yeah, so he... The interest... Yeah. I was going to say, like, you go. that is the person between <laughs> us that has been the renegade player. That has... I let the council die. I killed the Rachni. I did a multitude of horrible things. I get... I can at least follow the logic of a person that decides to do this. I am interested why people are okay with killing the Rachni Queen, but not okay with not curing the Genophage. Not that I'm playing a numbers game here, not that I'm going like, oh, well, this... But the Genophage is essentially letting this birth defect carry on, whereas the Krogan will still exist if the Genophage is around, whereas the Rachni is the straight-up elimination of an entire species. Uh, so that does that point there does it does kind of make me go hmm not to equate them or belittle one or the other by comparison uh, that just is like a weird dichotomy that I've only just now noticed that that that's also a renegade option that that shepherds can make and I've heard of more people choosing to destroy the Rachni 
than I ever have of them not curing the genophage. And I wonder if some of that is just that I, you have or not Rex, you know, you have someone that you yeah, can talk to. Like, what if you'd had a Rachni squad mate leading or just up like to that? anybody? Because, like, you, you like, learn about the Rachni and have the opportunity to kill them within the confines of one mission, where mm-hmm. the Krogan as a species have been this constant, whether it was the Rex, Grunt, or just, like, you know, being around them and, like, seeing the damage the genophage had done to these people. Man. You so, know, like, you have... Huh? I just thought of something cool. You you keep going. But I, I was gonna say like, you had missions like Morden's loyalty mission and things like and Grunt's Hurt mission loyalty mission. Like you had these things sort of give you more of an idea of the possibilities of these people. Where the Ragnite is sort of like you have to rely on what you're told in the course of like an hour of gameplay. What if in mm-hmm. in one of the Mass Effects you had a teammate who was a sorry and had a link to the Rachni Queen that that you could like talk to the like the character was essentially their own character, character X. But then they could also do the weird neural link thing to let you talk to the Rachni Queen, and the Rachni Queen could like see through their eyes and stuff. So it would be essentially like you had the Rachni Queen on your team and stuff. Kind of like through. Edie, but kind kind organics. of like, yeah, kind of like Edie. But imagine if there was Edie in the Android and then also the Android personality as well and it like switched between the two and right. stuff like that. Oh, that would have been really freaking cool. Oh, that would have been such a cool character. Like and they could be um they could have the green uh skin like the like the Asari yeah, yeah. um I, f- I forgot her name, but the the one that you save at Zoo's Hope that we meet again in Mass Effect three. It's at some no, in Mass Effect two. Shiala. Yeah. yeah. Um Man, that'd be really cool. Oh man, yeah. I'm just now like thinking about that. Oh, can, come on, Bioware, that's that's on the <laughs> table. You can have that one. I just want more sorry <laughs> characters. Come on. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So this this is an interesting way to frame it. Um, it did make me go, huh? Okay, so this is somebody who heard the justifications for why you would not cure the genophage and thought them reasonable. Um, I do not think that is a completely unreasonable thing. That's something that Bioware obviously intended. Like, they wanted to give you some level of lead-up that would lead someone to make that decision. I'm sure there's many other people who aren't followers of us on Twitter who came to the same conclusion. He did point out that he would not make this this decision if it had real-life implications, if it was not a video game world. So I almost wanted to say that this was a not what I was looking for that it was kind of like, Oh, it's a video game. So I can make this decision. Um, I just, I really wanted to find someone who, which at the end of the day, I guess if I wanted to find someone who could justify that, I'd be talking to somebody. Don't know who, if you want to meet them. Yeah. Don't know if I actually want to meet them. Um, but he, like, like, he did bring up, a, I'll, I'll let you finish this. Cause I want to move on to another point. He said later on in these DMs. So yeah, I was going to say like, not to like speed down to the way anyone decides to play a video game that's you know your own everyone's got their own prerogative on what they want to do when they play a game but like for me mass effect has always been this sort of self-insert mm-hmm. insert thing yeah 100%. and it's uh kind of like i don't like I, I again i don't make decisions based on where they're on the dialogue wheel and that was what made mass effect 2 so frustrating because like it punished me for not doing that it has always been about like me in the shoes of this person that i'm playing as making the decision that i want to make based on, you know, where it sits with me versus what I, you know, aim to gain later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did make a point at the end, which is something that has, like, I'd been thinking about in the context of this episode, obviously, that um, 
uh, it does support the idea that a lot of the alien races in this game come off can come off as loose metaphors for real world human uh interactions with minority groups uh he specifies the idea that that krogan's could represent african-americans and koreans could represent um jewish people and gypsies uh i definitely see that latter one with the koreans it it was it was something that i had been thinking about uh during tally's loyalty mission and again uh frequently uh later on in the rannock uh situation particularly uh i think the krogan I think the Krogan analogy doesn't quite make it there again, like just because of the the shroud stuff, it feels more colonialist because they, you know, there was not like an attempt to export Krogan, but I guess they were soldiers in the Ragnar War, so yeah, that does that holds water, yeah, um, yeah, it's. I, I was talking to Ken about this before the show started, but sci-fi frequently runs into situations where there are loose things going on that uh, are are kind of extrapolations of real life conflict um especially race relations come up a lot in the same way that uh if you talk about lovecraft it's hard to talk about lovecraft without talking about like the racist implications of his writing um and that's not to say that there isn't there aren't good things in lovecraft's writing and also that there hasn't been a lot of really good challenging work inspired by lovecraft's work the same way sci-fi kind of tackles a lot of things and some people use it as a scalpel to dissect issues and really frame them in a way that can help us understand uh grow learn as people which is what i think mass effect is there are also other other times where it gets used in let's say very bad ways like one that always specifically comes to mind is is wado from the star wars prequels seems like an especially offensive character <laughs> um as a person who doesn't like star wars doesn't remember who that who is Watto? he's he is the guy who owns anakin's uh anakin skywalker and his mother uh who is portrayed as a shrewd businessman uh who pinches pennies and tries to like wheel and deal you and the way he is like designed to look and the way he like just his general attitudes are very let's say (laughs) disney-esque let's put it that way okay yeah uh the way that they are Mm. like rough caricatures again disney is like a great example of using those in in the bad way let's say that's there's a reason why you can't watch song in the south anymore (laughs) um but I think that Mass Effect, I don't, I, again, I don't know if this was the intention of the writers, but it does force you to kind of contest with these ideas. And obviously, like, this is not a reading I had when I was playing the game initially. This is years and years later now dissecting it and going back over it and really pouring over it. But it did make me think a little bit more about this stuff in a way that I felt was really rewarding and ultimately, like, I feel like I came away from this mission and I'm coming away from it even now, like having learned a lot more and like gained a greater appreciation for what this mission is. Because we, when we talk about, I mean, we're skipping over the major part that is, this is like Morden's big hurrah. This is the scene that people remember him. This is like the culmination of all these different buildups. You have this, this moment where Morden realizes that he's going to have to go up to that tower to release the shroud and, it's going to be the death of him and that the tower is going to crumble down around him, but it has to be him or someone else might get it wrong. Like mm. he's, he's not only making good for what he did so many years ago, but he's 
there there is like a bit of sorrow you know he wanted to he wanted to have a nice life he wanted to go you know run tests on the seashells and you there is a way that for you to convince morden to fake his own death and and go escape and yeah. stuff like that but that feels like such a cheap inclusion that i don't even want to justify <laughs> like, i I, th- I think i think we need to talk about it though because it's it is i mean it is a thing so that you can th- do but it just feels so incredibly out of character for morden for all well, like the well, fact let's... that you would have to shoot morden because that is the renegade option here is you let's, shoot morden to, to sabotage the cure okay and and you kill morden and like that let's, feels more in character from warden that you would literally have to kill him there's no other way he's not going to cure the genophage so let's talk about like the actual things that have to be in place for that to be a, a, for that to happen okay so in order for morden to be convinced to fake his own death and help sabotage the cure rex has to be dead in mass effect one mm-hmm. and in mass effect one well, obviously, there's no other too. place for him to die, but yeah. yeah. And so you have to like you have to have destroyed Malin's data to result in Eve's death, leaving Reeve as the sole leader of the Krogan, who well, obviously we didn't see this because we didn't we have Rex. But if Reeve is there, Reeve has way different ideas for the Krogan than Rex did, and it's like he he wants to basically ha- get revenge for everything that happened to the Krogan. He wants to. Uh, you know, expand violently as opposed to diplomatically, like Rex does. And if Eve die, like Eve beforehand is kind of portrayed as like she's gonna be the, the stabilizer there. Where if she's alive, they'll be okay because she will fight against the worst possible ideas that Reeve has. So when you've got just Reeve there, like Reeve is it. That is the only instance in which the sabotaging of the genophage feels like a viable decision. Even though, like, I mean, I still, in the event that that was, like, where my playthrough culminated, I wouldn't have done that. Because, like, again, I still stand by everything I said, that the Krogan needs to have that opportunity to make their own future, instead of being told by everybody else what it is. Mm -hmm. So that is the point where Morden kind of... See, Ponos. Ponos, Ponos, he's got Um, takes. He's like, yeah, you gotta do that. It's good for the Krogan. And so Morden, you have like you have to renegade and Paragon to check through it. And that's another thing to point out. Like it's not something that Morden is just like easily convinced of. And I will point out like the scene in which like you confront Morden because like you have to have not you obviously not told them about the sabotage. Morden has to start sort of like extrapolating it based on what he can tell. And like he has this amazing scene where he just like as Shepard is kind of like egging him on, just turns around and like says, "I made a mistake." Huh. And that is the only like you don't get that from, like, you know, one with somebody that you're not sabotaging with, because he's just like, all right, we're all on the same, the same page, nobody has to fight about anything. But if you're having to, like, push against that this cure is what needs to happen right now, Morden just has, like, this moment where he snaps, and that is very uncharacteristic of him. And it kind of, like, you know, we, we talked about it during his loyalty mission. Like, it's pointing to, like, this has been eating away at him. As calculated as he acts like everything is, like, this thing that he did has ruined him just like internally and he just hasn't until that moment let it out and so you can kind of at that point assume that he's sort of being pushed by emotion to some extent and you can have this conversation where like i agree that they need a cure but not now yeah like when they're more stable like when we're not all trying to recover from the reaper war and or like reeve will never let us have that like that moment of reprieve like after after this is all over and that's when you can convince Morden and then that like it, there are so many negative 
regressive things that happen to be happening for the Krogan for that to happen. So I don't think that it's necessarily out of character for Morden, because I think it has gotten to the point where, like, he does snap into that calculus, and that sort of, like, regardless of what I think and what I want for them now, this is not the time for this to happen. Okay. I can so, see that a little bit. I can see that. I, yeah, I just, you know, I, I always think of this moment as the culmination of, of Morden, because we talked about it in Mass Effect 2, especially, and, and I mean, this is, this is our send-off for Morden. This is a series send-off for Morden. And mm-hmm. um, I'm almost getting teared up just thinking about it. <laughs> it's Like, uh, this... It, I, oh, God, okay. Yeah, I know, right? We're, we're like, in it now. Uh, we talked about it in Mass Effect 2, but this is a character who he comes on the ship, and yeah, you see he's, he's kind of this wacky, scatterbrained doctor who you know he's almost like a borderlands character you know he's like he's always gonna shoot you or he's gonna heal you and uh and you kind of learn over time that yeah he has his quirks but he's he's very thoughtful um he he cares about people like he wants to heal people that is his goal but throughout his life he's traditionally done things that hurt people and his healing is his way of like making good on that and this right. feels like the culmination of that, that he has over time just realized that like what his greatest regret was and finding a way to undo that, finding a way to, to just right his wrongs and give hope to people. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, I, I always think of the, the seashell thing because it's, I, I, this is me, this is completely headcanon. I like to picture him thinking that by him giving up his his vacation, his reprieve, his calming time to make this sacrifice, he's giving so many Krogan children the chance mm. to do just that, that they never yeah. would have had otherwise. And mm. it's just, it's a beautiful moment. And they, they tie it in so well the way that Bioware always does. I mean, there's so many little references to his singing and the, his, his like, lines I, I, and his, I want to talk, it, it's so I want to talk about that specific thing real fast because like when when this game came out and like again like i mentioned i mentioned that i had like a group of friends who were all playing at the same same time some friends of mine never heard more than sing in mass effect 2 what? so he doesn't sing at mass effect 3 wait he only like, he sings very, if like, you hear him sing he only sings if you hear him sing in the first game or in mass effect 2 so you get a scene where he's like his last moments are just him being like like saying like to himself like the Krogans are going to be okay, basically, is what he, what, basically what he says. And then, but if you, if you do get him to sing in Mass Effect 2, he sings, like, to calm himself as he knows that he's about to die. And it was, like, I, I cried playing through it for the show, and I cried one of, like, the hardest cries I've ever had anything fictional in my life when I first played it. Because, like, I was waiting for, like, the grunt coming out of the the caves moment. Like, I was waiting for, like, the moment where I was like, no, he's gonna be okay. Like, the game's not gonna take Morden away from me. And then it just never happens. And, like, you see him, like, he gets caught up in an explosion. He's gone. And it's just... And, like, he doesn't even get to finish singing. Like, he doesn't even finish the song. He's, like, in the last line, and then he gets blown up. And it's gone. And it's just like... God! I... It's, I'm getting teared up now! <laughs> and it's like... It... it it feels bad, but, like, it also feels like one of the most earned character deaths. Like, like one of the most, like, it, it was done well. It was done so, like, it, again, I'm thinking about it because Game of Thrones literally, like, just ended. And I'm thinking about how earned a thing can be. And yeah. it's, 
it is it feels it feels right in a way like it, it feels like a satisfying end to his character arc it's just I, it feels kind of shitty to say that like Morden dying made Morden the character that he is in everyone's memory, but it, it kind of does. The fact that he sacrifices himself for the greater good, that he makes that choice, and so that's why I'm a, I'm a, I get a little bit peeved out when I think about the other options, especially the idea that he could end up making that decision to not like I I prefer yeah, I, I prefer the ideal of Morden in my head that he is dead set on making this happen and you have to kill him if you want to stop it like that's yeah um morden and i i I get that and that and that like i can't like you can talk about doing tests in the sea shells to any mass fight fan and they know exactly what Mm -hmm. you're talking about and like it like you know you can't there's no equivalent sort of memory like touchstone for everyone when it comes to other choices, like even like you know, even people we talked to about it, like they have their reservations about the things that they did, and it was sort of like, oh, I did this, you know, okay, again, I did this for completionist reasons, so like, and I couldn't do it now, and it's like, so I don't really know that mm-hmm. even though that choice exists, that version of him exists, I don't know how many people really associate that with him. So it feels, I get, it like, feels I get, like an alternate ending, like like a what if yeah. ending, not like true to Morden, uh, who, yeah, yeah. And, like, the, to sort of, like, jump ahead a fair bit, we do need to talk about, like, one of the other sort of fallouts of sabotaging the genophage. Yes, And so, this will only have... Yeah, we gotta talk about Rex, because yes. this can only happen, obviously, if he's alive, and, like, this would have had to been in the scenario where you shot Morden and stopped him. Um, because Rex does ultimately find out if you sabotaged the cure. Right. Reeve does not. Like, I will point out that Reeve does not, and, like, in that scenario, you do... that Like, that is the... If you're playing a numbers game, that is the way to get the most war assets about all of this. If Reeve is the only one alive, and you sabotage the cure, and like like if you have Morden alive in that scenario, uh, he goes to on to help with the Crucible, so he becomes a war asset as well. Um, but Rex will confront you on the Citadel, and it's on the Citadel or on on the ship on the Normandy on the Citadel. Like no, no, he doesn't find out until. Um, after Renock, like, gotcha. like as you're headed to Thessia. Okay, okay. And it is one of the hardest scenes of this game. Like, I mean, in a, in a game full of like awful to watch scenes, it is one of the hardest because like he is heartbroken that you did this to him, and he like he even like he 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 comes on with with like a loaded shotgun, ready to just kill Shepard for what he's done, and he pulls out the, the recording of you talking to Dalatras, and you can even try to renegade check through it, but like as soon as you try, um. Like, you, like you have to have, like, gotten his armor, Mass Effect 1, and Shepard's like, oh, I may have, you know, doomed your entire species, but I did get you that armor two games ago. And the Rex is like, yeah, words aren't going to cut it, and then immediately opens fire. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about how, like, I believed you were my friend through all of this, and he also pulls out all Krogan support for the Crucible. So in that scenario, like, you're trying to game to get the most wars, so you get the least. And you so, say it results in his death here too. You have a note there. Yeah, that, yeah. Like because Shepard will shoot uh, him because like yeah, Rex at some point knocks out a Citadel guard who drops his gun like when he's knocked out, obviously. Oh, okay. And then Shepard gets it and is able to shoot him down. And then Bailey comes and like they talk. Oh god, they talk about how they're like they're not going to be able to like bury him or anything, so they're just going to space his body because he's too big. And I'm god. just like, I it is that that feels it. Casts, it it casts Rex aside just as much as you did. It's 
I it's such a hard scene to watch, and I I don't, like all other things aside, that is one of the things like I couldn't bear. I could not bear to have that in my playthrough. That, I just couldn't do it. That just makes me realize that there's like this whole side of Mass Effect that I just never even th- considered existing, and like that there are, that this was an option they had to plan for. And not only did they like realize that it could happen, but they like added it in and made it an option. Like it, it almost does feel like a screw you to the idea of trying to numbers game this of trying to get the most support like yeah you made an unethical decision and guess what like rex isn't an idiot he's gonna figure it out he's he's gonna know what happened yeah and and in that conversation he makes like reference like did you think i was an idiot like reeve because like reeve doesn't find out right reeve doesn't like have connections in the in the slaring government who like rex does to find out these things and it's just like it's like an acknowledgement sort of that like things could have gone differently if you'd been playing the game a certain way and it's just uh, it's it's so much it's a lot but luckily ken you and i we are good people yep, everything's, we made the right everything's, everything's great because we cured the genophage uh we get to talk to rex he's well and alive he's doing great uh he's he's gonna build up the new krogan rays everything's gonna go great for rex in our playthroughs because we're good people uh, <laughs> uh, we get to talk to Rex a little bit about how he killed his father. You know, it's it's, it's something mm. he did. We find out Eve's real name, or not Picara. That's that's cool. That's a nice. Little, is that supposed to be a reference, or is that just nice that we know her name? I, that's all. Something I always wondered that I intended to. Is there a reference in. to that? Yeah, if it's or if that's something we were supposed to know going into like, like oh no no she she, she talks about like how well there, there's a point in her um her dialogue on the Normandy where she like. Shepard's like, I don't, I feel bad that I don't know your name. And she's like, well, I gave it up. Uh, maybe after this is all over, you can know it. Mm. It's nice. It's nice. And we, we wrap it up. And it, hey, guess what? We don't get all the Solarian support, but we got some people within the Solarian government who are saying, you know what? We don't, we don't like that. We're still going to help you out. When the time comes, we're going to be there for mm-hmm. you. You end up getting a lot Shout of war assets. We're do- yeah, Kirhi. Oh, my boy. We're going to talk about him. Don't worry. Love Kirhi. Mm. Um, and and Victus is going to send in resources to help with the Crucible. Garrus is going to help coordinate. Everything's going great. And you know what? I th- I, we're not going to do it now, but I think we should head back on to the Citadel. You things are going well on the Citadel. We should probably go see how things are doing at the Citadel next week. Yeah, uh, every, I'm sure everything's great over there. Yeah, yeah, everything's probably going. F- I mean, so next week, I will say, um, we our, our planned episode is is one of two that we are doing. I believe. Uh, we call it Citadel wrap-up episodes. Uh, basically, the way that Mass Effect 3 is structured, there's a lot of side content. And while we're trying to find ways to integrate it throughout uh, the series to where we can tie them in and have neat little things, uh, we've assigned two episodes they are just going to be kind of catch-alls for stuff that we have not gotten to yet. Uh, stuff that we are planning, you know side missions different little side quests on the citadel with characters i know bar levon was hanging around you know talk about bar levon and also it gives us just a little bit of room to talk about the game in a broader sense than uh some of the structured episodes do because i mean we haven't even talked about multiplayer yet and that's probably something i'm going to bring up next week is just talking about multiplayer and the way that that works and stuff so mm. um well gives us Eric, a nice that was all beautiful it was beautiful that was all wonderful and it was wonderful and beautifully said, but that's not next week. What? No, I, I looked at the... 
I looked it. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right okay, now. Okay, why did you put these two next to each other and trick my reading like that? You, I mean, because... You did this intentionally. Did, you did this intentionally. It seemed the logical thing to do. Yeah, so so next week we will be going back to the Citadel. We won't be doing that that stuff just yet, because, um, well, I mean, it's going to be a normal time of the Citadel, right? It's going to be a normal time. Everything's yep, probably everything's fine. Everything's right over there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's a side mission we should probably do, too. Uh, I, I got it because mm. I bought that game, you know, day one. So we should probably mm. tick that off probably, at some point. Yeah. You know, head back to Eden Prime. Just do some stuff over yeah, there. Yeah, there's, there's probably something cool there. I mean, like, it, it was where this series started. You know, maybe there's there's yeah. something neat. Find, like, a quarter or something. Play Street yeah. Fighter. <laughs> uh, we are going to wrap this episode up with another one of our patron questions from our patreon if you want to support our show if you want to support what we do if you want to push us to do even more if you want us to play more games i already have to play a game now that i don't want to play and don't worry we'll be talking about that next week too but uh you can you can support and and uh add your donations to the pile we do want to give a shout out to rain and space racist ashley williams thank you so much for donating uh and, and donating at the level which allows you to ask us a question every week. So this question comes from Rain. Uh, what do you guys think of the current state of the RPG genre? You guys mentioned that the current state of games doesn't do it for you like Mass Effect did, and I have to agree. My Steam library and current playlist is mostly older games. What do you attribute, attribute this to, and what's the fix? So let me preface, preface oh. this. Let me preface my response. When I said that the current state of games doesn't do it for me like Mass Effect did, that was in reference to just the idea that these like choices matter and there's big overarching consequences, things like that. Uh, the reason why I, I selected this question specifically is because I have been thinking a lot about the state of the RPG genre because we've had a lot of things happen recently in that uh, area. You know, we've got several very big, high-profile RPGs on the on the horizon, even, and so. It's I, I always find it weird, A, when people talk about RPGs like they are a niche genre, because yeah. I would argue that some of our largest AAA games are, I mean, Skyrim is an RPG. Like, I'm sorry, it just straight yeah. up is an RPG. Witcher, I mean, is that, but, is that a debate on that? I mean, I, I think some people would say it's, oh, it's an open world game, or, or things like that. I think, I but like, uh, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't know that distinction really existed, but okay. I, I don't think it does, but I'm sure there are some people out there who would argue it. Mm, okay. and, and also, like, there are people who are RPG purists, who they only think of RPGs right. in terms of like, oh, anything, like, it has basically old school Final Fantasy, and things like that. Right. Uh, right. But, okay. so... I think right now there are more RPG options than there have ever been. Straight mm-hmm. up. And I think the the difference there is that there there are so many that the cream is rising to the top. There are if you think about the PlayStation 1, which is kind of like I would I would argue is the haven of the RPG. It, it is where so many of you, when you think about the RPG genre, especially JRPG, that is where mm-hmm. the games are. You have all the Final Fantasies. You have Legend of Dragoon. You have Grandia. You have... I, I mean, I'm, there are probably dozens I'm not thinking of that I'm not listing off that people listening to this right now are like, why aren't you saying this? But my point is, like, there are... Lunar is, like, a big one that not enough people talk about, in my opinion. But uh, it's that is that was, like, a big JRPG haven. Also, like, tactical RPGs, like Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre, that sort of thing. Uh, it's... But those are RPGs that were, like, they were formulaic to an extent. You know, it's right. if Final Fantasy, 
I look, I love me a good Final Fantasy, but a lot of those games were were similar in the way that you played them. Like they had the the ATB system and they would change things about the mechanics, you know, materia and things like that, but ultimately they would end up largely being the same sort of inputs and a lot of that was the limitations of the time whereas you couldn't do something like final fantasy 15 back then like kingdom hearts back then both of those games are rpgs but they control in a very very different manner and so i think there is like a distinction there that people like to draw that oh it's you know it's real rpgs but you have to think about the fact that not only have rpgs evolved to the point where now you can actually hit the button and do the thing yourself instead of having to just like tell it to do something and then watch it play out. But there's room for so much of that stuff to grow. I mean, we still have people making traditional RPGs in that sense. We have Octopath Traveler. We have I Am Setsuna. Uh, we have The Witcher. We have Felseal is a big one that just that people were playing recently that's a Final Fantasy Tactics-inspired game. I mean, even like You could even venture to say things like Wargroove can kind of come out of Fire Emblem, and Fire Emblem was a big RPG series. It is a big RPG series, and they're coming out with a new one that looks like it's going to change a lot about how that's, that game those systems work, but it's going to be still an RPG. And... But I will say, like, again, I said the cream rises to the top. There, It's become a lot clearer that to exist in the RPG space, you need to do something that's interesting. It's not simply enough to be. People aren't just looking to consume a genre and get that formula anymore. You have to do something above and beyond because... And the reason this is happening is so many AAA games are adopting RPG mechanics nowadays. Assassin's Mm. Creed has a lot of RPG mechanics. God of War has a lot of RPG mechanics. Horizon Zero Dawn. like All these AAA games... I mean, you could even argue that things like Days Gone have some influence from RPGs in the way that you have character progression. Those are like very role-playing game elements. The idea that you are customizing and building up a character over time, that you are steadily gaining in power versus being a static power character. That That is a very role-playing game sentiment. And that sort of stuff is gradually seeping into games everywhere. I mean, Madden has RPG elements, arguably. You have a character builder in Madden where you assign points. That's like D&D, but for football. Um, it's So when you think of it that way, just having those elements is not enough like it used to be. It's It's not enough to simply check that box because genres can blend so easily nowadays. And so you have to be doing something that's different you have to be doing something that's going to stand out because otherwise it's it's like how there's a million games on steam and it's it's hard to ever know what's going to rise out and so you just have to do something that stands out from the crowd that's the way to do it is you have to you have to have that elevator pitch of this is what my game is so that's why like final fantasy 7 remake i'm not surprised that it looks like it's going to be the same systems as final fantasy 15 that sort of action style Mm. because hey look now you can actually be cloud doing the things instead of just doing turn-based battle system or atb battle system like it that is a inherently cool idea to me as someone who has admittedly not played final fantasy 7 i just watched my friend play through it years ago but uh, i've never actually played it myself i'm like super interested in that because i thought final fantasy 15 was a bit of a flawed gem and I want to see what they can do when they have a more cohesive story to put those systems in. So, uh, I... That's a long way of saying 
the current state of the RPG genre is like super wide. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. I think there's a lot of stuff where if there there are more niches for you to go into. I'm a huge advocate of the Tales of series. Uh, I love Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Asperia, Tales of Berseria. But those are admittedly niche games. And you have to kind of be attuned into that scene. And so I think as this genre has grown out larger, you're not just an RPG fan anymore. You're kind of, you know, you're a fan of certain systems. You're a fan of certain ideas, certain designs, certain story writing. And so you you are drawn to those niches. And so there's more areas for games to kind of fall into pockets where fans will be invested in that. And that's where maybe the difference between Mass Effect is. Because Mass Effect is like a the big budget RPG. It is the huge role-playing game, the same way that Dragon Age is, where that sort of game-making maybe isn't as feasible anymore. The only people really doing it are... I don't know if I'd put Skyrim in the same... It's it's obviously like it's huge. It's one of the biggest freaking games in the world, but uh, it's I wouldn't I wouldn't call it like Mass Effect in the same way because you're not really like role playing in that sense. I would compare it to The Witcher, uh, Wild Hunt, because in that you are playing Geralt of Rivia and you are playing your Geralt of Rivia and you are making choices that affect Geralt's life. Uh, so I would say that like if that's something you're looking for, like Witcher is going to provide that for you. But um, that sort of development is so costly and there's so much stuff going on. I mean, we just talked about all these different scenes that can happen with Morden. You have to pay for all that. You have to mocap all that. You have to voice act all that. You have to do all that. There's so much work that goes into making what is ultimately like a 20 hour experience, like being generous there, 20 hour experience. And games are having longer and longer lifespans they want you to be playing they want you to be reinvesting they don't want you to just spend sixty dollars they want you to spend sixty dollars and then get the season pass so i think in that respect um it's just getting harder to make this style of game but i also don't think that's going to discourage a lot of people i mean assassin's creed odyssey has a lot of links to mass effect like you can draw a lot of comparisons uh, between the two and cyberpunk is looking interesting so i want to hog all the time here but the, that's my thoughts on the state of the rpg genre uh, i think it's all looking up but you gotta stand out you gotta do something different i think the the games that we talk about nowadays have done a good job of doing that and there's been a lot of chaff that's fallen by the wayside ken huh well so for the longest time of my gaming life, I would I would have said that I was like primarily an RPG player. Like, uh, like I, I I played a lot of the Final Fantasy games that were like the PlayStation One era to you know the PlayStation like PlayStation One, PlayStation Two era like seven, eight, nine, ten, um, twelve is a oh, garbage love, game which I never want to play again. I love Final Fantasy but, Ten. I just want to say that again. Yes, I, I, I game. me too. I have a. I know. I have a I'm tattoo. I, I will say this now. Okay, so I'm I'm not going to fully derail you here, Ken. But that that tattoo is the sickest tattoo that I want to like steal and get myself. I'm not going to get it myself because it's your tattoo. But God, <laughs> that's a really good fucking tattoo. He's got the the Xanark and Abe's logo on. Is it on your your left arm? Yeah, my left arm. Yeah. Wow, I remember that. Um. It is is the sickest tattoo. I'm like I'm supremely jealous of it every time I see it. <laughs> so, like I was saying, like I've spent a lot of my time um, playing RPGs basically throughout my entire gaming life. Like even even going back to when I was like maybe too young to play those kind of games, like I gravitated towards things that would ultimately inform the kind of like the games that I would 
grow into liking like I like the Zelda games of like the mm-hmm. first three Nintendo systems were like huge for me, and like that would sort of inform games that I would get into. They would be like the Mass Effect series, the Dragon Age series, like these very story driven, mainly focused experiences that were you know twenty to thirty hours. I don't feel like that game is really happening in the way that I want it to anymore. Um, because, like, like you said, the comparisons to, like, Skyrim, the way that Assassin's Creed has become this huge open-world thing, um, like, th- that experience doesn't really exist in the way that I guess I grew up to know it and, it, and like, look for it. And, like, Dragon Age Inquisition and Mass Effect Andromeda were close because, like, they, they were open-world-ish experiences, but they still had, like, this focus story with the focus cast and like these things that I wanted um I I don't really find most of those most of RPGs that I play these days are like that anymore because they are so focused on being these expansive open worlds that like is constantly like got all these different distractions fighting for your time um and I don't think like amount of time that I have to spend in a game is probably like Persona 5 is like 100 hours long and it still hits on exactly what I want which is you know like I said this um very focused experience, mm-hmm. even though it's hundred hours long, and they're like a lot of that is not necessarily filler in the way, like the derogatory way, but it's just like it's expanding upon what I want, which is like the the confidants and the sort of uh, collecting of persona. So, it, what is my opinion on the current state of RPGs? Like, I'm not playing them as much as I used to, and that. That's not me, like, pining for a certain genre. It's more of just, like, a certain experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, because, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't fucking like The Witcher. I didn't... I can't... I don't like Skyrim. Mm-hmm. I don't like... You know, the thing is that when most people talk about modern-day RPGs, like, those are, like, the, the go-tos that people point out. So, I would like to see more of a... Retru- like, you know, like we said, there, like, there's a business reality of people trying to, like, make these games in a way that not forces people to like spend more time and money on them but it's like like it definitely yeah encourages and that is the reason that anthem exists in the way that it does Mm -hmm. and like regardless of like the i don't want to point fingers at bioware ea it's like but that game is clearly designed in a way that deviates very hard from like the things about mass effect and dragon age that appeal to me in the first place which is you know this idea of like creating this character and existing in this world where Anthem is just basically this this shoot and looting mess of a video game, which I mean, granted, okay, Anthem's apparently getting better. I will, I'll just, I'll give them that. But I'm not, I'm not playing that game anytime soon. But I don't know. I, I want to see a return to that kind of stuff because, like, as recently as Persona Five, like, I got exactly what I needed from that game, and it, that experience, you know, even like the memory of playing that game, you know, it kept me good for a while. Like, I didn't... I wasn't, like, pining for another RPG anytime soon. Um, so I don't know, like, maybe Dragon Age 4 will be that, because, like, it sounds like Anthem and all the... everything that happened with that has kind of been a wake-up call for Bioware. It's to, like, maybe go back... back to the... back to the roots a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I, I... like, I... again, I don't really play a lot of RPGs anymore, and that is maybe just indicative of the market at this point. I will, I will say, I will cap this off with some recommendations because, uh, you know, just if you're out there, if you're looking for RPG stuff, I do think there is stuff out there. Um, 
Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. The second one is coming out uh, next year. I, I think that's when they said it was. The second one is being worked on right now. Let's say that. Because <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> if they gave a release date for that or not. Um, I want to say they said 2020, but I could be wrong. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 is... I, the first game, so that's me saying keep that on your radar and also play the first game because the first game is this wonderful mess of a game that shouldn't work but does, and it does a lot of the world building extremely well as as you're kind of diving into uh, the vampire underworld and you're learning about all the different clans and all the different uh, like the clans are basically also essentially just like alien races because they are alien races in mass effect because they do have like different characteristics about their vampirism like there is the i i I always mess up the name but uh there's one specific clan that is so hideous and unable to communicate as a human anymore that they can only like go in the sewers and live in the sewers and you end up playing most of the game as a stealth game because you will be attacked on site by most of the other clans but you can hear whispers that like foretell the future and things like that so it's a really interesting way to play that game whereas if you play as one of the more charismatic classes you can just charm your way through the whole game you barely have to touch the combat and or you can play like a combat like someone who's going to just rip and tear bodies and and douse yourself in blood like there's so many (laughs) ways to play that game that are really interesting and compelling and that make me excited for the second one i'll also say because i've been thinking about it and and because i'm thinking about vampire the masquerade there's a new another vampire the masquerade game coming from the developers of the council and the council is a really cool telltale style adventure game that i think if you enjoy the paragon renegade uh stuff in mass effect and and kind of you know, things like Tally's loyalty mission where you are in these long protracted dialogues that gradually build up to a thing uh, and choices result because of it, you will love the council because it's just a game of that. Imagine if like Tally's loyalty mission minus the combat was just an entire game and, and that is the council. And it's really, really interesting. I it, it was not one of my favorite games of last year, but it was the one that for some reason I just keep thinking about. Uh, and I'm really excited for what they do with the Vampire the Masquerade property. I think it's going to be something worth checking out. So those are things that can kind of satisfy that need. Also, like the Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishments uh, game is a bit more on the mystery side. I mean, even I would even say that things like Danganronpa could kind of be considered an RPG. I'm just going to put that out there, Ken. <laughs> like, well, now you have my attention. I know I'm, I know I'm stretching it, but like... Uh, those elements just branch so much that I think a strict definition of RPG just does not exist in the way that used to. Mm. The same way that like action adventure is not a helpful name right. for thinking. I mean, if you say adventure game now, like that still kind of means like, Oh, like point and click or telltale or something like that. But, uh, I, I was actually having this discussion the other day about the difference between action and action adventure. And you could kind of extrapolate it out to where it's like, a platinum games like Bayonetta would be more action, whereas like action adventure would be like Uncharted or Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Uh, even that seems a little bit, and even a lot of those games have RPG elements. Like it's, 
games blend together in a way they don't anymore and i think that's for the best and again i think that's going to result in a lot of games rising to the top but as you mentioned like that can also shove out a lot of people who are looking for a very specific thing and they have to kind of rely on the developer that's going to like keep putting that out there but also they need to keep bringing in new players and so it's like this weird kind of push and pull uh i mean i i talked about the tale series those don't sell terribly well and i'm glad that they're still able right. to keep making them in spite of that mm-hmm. because i am always worried that the next tales game is going to be the last one because those games are huge yeah. they're 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 very big games and i imagine a lot of time goes into making them and but i think they'd like just recently passed 200 million total sales or something like that across the entire franchise which is a very large franchise uh that would be like hearing that final fantasy had crossed 200 million sales it's like really just Mm. now (laughs) so um i always get worried that the next tales game is going to be the last so i i would just say go out support developers and, and try to search out things that may be tangential uh that that will like give you that some of the things that you're looking for but more than anything like support your developers you know if people are out there making the games that you want to play buy the games talk to your friends convince like you know get get them to to check it out like more and more i just get sad about people i've been thinking about it like the steam store sales and stuff like that there there are a lot of people who just like wait for sales and things like that to buy games Mm. and more and more i've been feeling better about buying full price just because i want to support the people that make games right and there's i mean we don't have time on this podcast to get into like the ethics of consumption and capitalism and things like that but (laughs) uh just support your devs voice your support tell them tell them you care uh, and, and Bioware, we drag you a lot here, but we do care. We're happy that you have made this series, has given us so much to talk about, and so much more to talk about in in the podcast to come. So I think that's a good wrapping point. Next week mm-hmm. we'll be heading to the Citadel for a good old casual, no surprise normal time, day. just a normal hangout on the Citadel. Uh, until then, for Kenneth, I'm Eric. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Norm BFM.